the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. We uh, referenced with Jay uh, Schaubacher here a few moments ago the fact that tomorrow, an important day, Thursday, October 3rd, is Take Your Bible to School Day. It's been around since 2014 and uh, certainly a wonderful opportunity for children to exercise their First Amendment rights and uh, be a witness at the same time. And, uh, and as some might argue, an opportunity for schools to have come along and infringe upon those rights because they understand very little about application of the Constitution. Jeremy Dees joins us, Deputy General Counsel for Litigation and Communications for First Liberty and Counselor, thank you for being with us today. It, it's interesting. There was some hubbub um, surrounding this issue of tomorrow being Take Your Bible to School Day in relationship to uh, Drew Brees, the quarterback from the New Orleans Saints. That reminded me a lot of um, some hot water that unwittingly uh, Tim Tebow got himself in along uh, around the Super Bowl about um, oh, eight, nine years ago. Tell us what happened here. Yeah, well, Drew Brees cut a, a commercial for Focus on the Family, the group behind the idea of Bring Your Bible to School Day. And uh, all he did was encourage kids, if they wanted to do it, to take their Bible with them on October the 3rd, the official day for Bring Your Bible to School Day. And for having such audacity, uh, this Super Bowl-winning quarterback, who is much beloved by everybody, left and right, was absolutely dragged through the mud for daring to think that uh, anyone would want to uh, either associate with focus on the family or actually, you know, do what he encouraged people to do, bring their Bible to school with them on October the 3rd. But look, I, what my greater concern was is not just for Drew Brees. I mean, look, if he can take a blitzing linebacker up the middle with bravery, he can certainly withstand that kind of pressure. But, you know, kids around the country who might be scared, given the treatment that he received, to actually do that. And so I, I just wanted to encourage kids all over the country to go ahead. It's perfectly fine. It's perfectly legal. Go ahead and take your Bible to school with you on October the 3rd if you want to. And if anyone gives you any kind of trouble with that, give us a call at firstliberty.org. We'd be happy to help you guys out. There is so much spouted off about the so-called separation of church and state, which is such a horrific uh, misnomer uh, that has little, if anything, to do with the actual establishment clause. And yet it's upon this basis that so often teachers and administrators will argue that, well, children can't pray in school, they can't pray over their meal at lunchtime, they can't share their faith with a fellow student, invite them to go to church with them on Sunday, or even read a Bible during quiet time or even write a story about, say, a favorite hero of Scripture because somehow this violates separation of church and state. Counsel, give us the lowdown on this. For parents listening right now, they think, gee, this is a great idea. I'd love to send my kid off and, and let them be able to exercise their religious freedom tomorrow. What exactly does the law say about this issue? The law is very clear on this point, that students can bring their Bible to school 
They can not only bring it to school, they can actually read it at school as well during free reading times or during breaks between classes or in the lunchroom over lunch. Uh, at their student club meetings, they can read the Bible there as well. Uh, they can actually even reference the Bible during class discussions. Uh, they could reference it in class assignments as well. And if any teacher or administrator says otherwise, they're the ones that are actually violating the Constitution, and they need to be held accountable for that. You know, I had a client that uh, wanted to do that very thing. He got a Bible from his church at Christmas time, and so he took it to school during uh, a period they call free reading time at their school, and they could choose from any book to, to read from. And he decided to read from his Bible, but his teacher said that that was wrong. He couldn't do that. And so he obeyed it in that instance, but it didn't seem right. And so he did what every student should do. He, he, uh, he talked to his parents that night. And his dad said, you know, I don't think the teacher's right, so if that happens again, have her give me a call. Well, it did happen again, and he did have her give her a call, give the dad a call, and she actually made him come to the front of the classroom, dial dad's number from the classroom phone, and while the rest of the class watched, uh, there you have uh, the teacher leaving a voicemail on dad's cell phone number saying, your son is reading a book, a religious book, in my classroom, and he cannot do that. Wow. Well, we had to get involved, and, and thankfully we were able to straighten that all around, and Giovanni was able to go back to school and read his Bible during free reading time. But that kind of thing should never happen in this country. Students are free to bring their Bible to school, and they're, they're, they're even free to talk to kids on the playground about their Bible at school. About the only thing they really shouldn't do is, uh, you know, bring out the Bible during the middle of trigonometry, or stand up on their desk and start reading the Bible from you know, the passage out of Mars Hill, Paul's talking to Mars Hill. That's about the only thing you couldn't do, is disrupt the educational environment of the school. But if there's a free reading time or if it's applicable to the classroom discussion, go ahead, bring it out and talk about it. Although from what I recall from my trig and geometry classes, uh, reading Scripture would have been far more compelling and exciting. <laughs> but I digress. You know, it's sad you mentioned the case of um, the young man who, who not only was given false information, but then the attempt to try and almost embarrass him on the backside, which then demonstrates in my mind that this was not just a teacher who was ignorant of the Constitution, ignorant of the law, but also really had a bit of an agenda um, against people of faith that would dare do something like bring a Bible onto public grounds, that they forget who the public is in public. Uh, Counselor, if folks run into problems tomorrow, and again, tomorrow is, of course, a nationwide bring your Bible to school day, they do run into problems, how can they contact you? Yeah, go to firstliberty.org, F-I-R-S-T, liberty.org. You, you can request legal help right from that website, or just give us a call at the office. The number's on the website, too, firstliberty.org. Uh, no one should be punished for bringing their Bible to school on a, on, a, on a regular school day, and certainly not be run off about it either. So, so don't let the teachers uh, engage in that kind of hostility towards you. Just give us a call. We can straighten this thing out. All right. We appreciate the time and uh, the encouragement as well. There is Jeremy Dees, Deputy General Counsel for Litigation and Communications with First Liberty. Again, on the web at firstliberty.org. That's firstliberty.org.
All right, coming up a little bit past uh, 12, 13 minutes here, past the hour of 6 o'clock. We're going to get you updated on some traffic. Also coming up around the corner will be our look, our conversation with Dr. John Duong, who draws draws up a chair every uh, every week at this time and spends some time with us talking about important health care issues. And uh, we're going to get to that conversation with Dr. John Duong on the topic of pain. And boy, if you're somebody who suffers from chronic pain. It could be neck pain, shoulder, lower back, leg pain. Maybe you've kind of written it off to, what's the old adage? Well, we're just that age, right? We we tend, when we reach our 50s, we tend to say that a lot. Well, you know, I'm, I'm getting at that age. Um, but I think we're probably going to discover that that is, in many respects, very much an, an inappropriate or, or misunderstanding, and that uh, proper health care, in fact, can oftentimes reverse what we were told was just pain that we needed to accept. Dr. John Duong coming up in just a moment after we get a look at traffic. Let's do that right now. We head over to the KFAX Traffic Center for the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Pain. Most of us, especially as we grow older, experience it. Pain accompanies injuries, overexertion, and the deterioration of the neck, spine, and certainly pain frequently accompanies arthritis. We typically accept pain as a normal part of aging, mask it often with pills, and then try to move on. But are pain and aging inextricably tied together? Next, some answers as we welcome you to Healing Habits with Dr. John Duong of the Holistic Health Center on the web at drduonglive.com. Dr. Duong, let's talk about this issue. There's a new study out that reveals 50 million Americans on average suffer from chronic pain. For many people, this chronic pain is disorienting, distracting, and quite frankly, robs them of enjoying a full quality of life. Yes, there are so many people are living in pain, and they don't seem to have the solution. So now we're going to talk about the solution, because I believe the body can heal itself. The powers that create the body heals the body from the inside out, the healing inside us. And we will see how we can do the right thing so that we can diminish our pain, so that we can live a better quality life. That's why I'm here. When we talk about pain, walk us through, if you would, some of the indicators of where most chronic pain tends to originate. Where is its source? There is always a pattern of pain. If it's coming from the lower back, if you have ever have experienced low back pain and you did an X-ray or an MRI on your lower back, where is it going to be? 90% of the time, it's usually it's going to be L4, L5, L5S1, herniated disc, bulging disc, stenosis, foraminal encroachment, tingling numbness in your feet. That's the, some of the symptoms on that. That's a lower back, right? How about in the neck? A lot of neck problem right now. The reason is because of technology. Computers bending the neck forward. Yeah, right? we're all like this all the time, hunched over our cell phones. Uh, the neck, and then how, um, like uh, the cell phone, the computers, reading, studying. Where's the location? If you have a neck problem and you take a next way, where's it coming from? There's the pattern, like I said earlier. The pattern is going to be C4, C5, C5, C6. Symptoms, tingling, numbness in your hands, headaches. So there's a pattern of the problem. Now we need to figure it out why are those an issue? 
what can we do to minimize their problem? Uh, minimize the degenerations, like this, like I said earlier, disc herniations, bulging disc, arthritis on that uh, C4, C5, C5, C6. What can we do to fix the problem? And of course, it's not just limited to lower back pain and upper neck and shoulder area, but oftentimes people are dealing with debilitating knee pain, maybe from an injury, could even be a sports injury from when they were in high school years and years ago. And other types of pains too, doctor, that I would suppose are associated with things like um, autoimmune disease, arthritis, things of that sort? Yes. Uh, Let's go back to the knee first. The knee, again, People have knee replacement. The doctor said there's bone on bone. Uh, there's degeneration. Usually, another way is there's a pattern again. The pattern is on medial meniscus. That's being degenerated. Arthritis on that area. So we need to figure it out. Why is it causing it? Two things that cause that issue. The first is going to be there's more loading on the medial meniscus. So that's why it's degenerate faster. There's arthritis and medial bone. There's arthritis in the bone. So medial meniscus, so we need to find, figure out the mechanic, why is it deteriorated so younger people can start preparing for this and prevent the knee replacement so that's, that's the pattern so we need to figure it out and then we will talk more about like what's the cause of the problem so there's two things, it's the, the loading force that I'm talking about, that degenerate herniated the disc um, degenerative disc and arthritis in the bones okay, that leads into the stenosis of the, the problem in, in, in the vertebrae, in the spine. And the, on the knee is going to be the medial meniscus. So, and then also, that's one thing. The first thing that causes pain is the, the loading force on that uh, disc area or the meniscus area. What's the second one? It's the inflammation. The inflammation that's causing your body to irritate that joint, irritate the disc. Now the disc, it will degenerate faster. An example is going to be rheumatoid arthritis autoimmune conditions that what is the autoimmune condition leading to inflammatory process the inflammation will degenerate the joint better and faster for you so what we need to do is that we need to solve that problem solve the loading force problem Okay. Let's talk a bit about why this is happening, because so often we, as you're suggesting, are suffering because of bad posture, bad habits. But oftentimes, too, isn't there a sense of bad treatment here? We probably all know individuals, maybe even ourselves, we've gone to doctors, we've sought medical treatment, we've been given prescriptions for pills, maybe up to and including recommendation for surgery. And yet, in spite of everything that seems to be done to try to address chronic pain, most people never seem to get better. Why is that? You never solve the problem. You never solve the problem to fix the loading force. You never solve the problem to fix the inflammation of your body. That's why the body can continue deteriorate. Like if you have like this hernia, this bulging disc, if you have like injections, temporary is blocking the pain. What's the next thing? The next step is going to be surgery. You cut off the disc, but what happened to the rest of their loading force? There's still loading force happening on that same area. So people have surgery. What's the next step? It's going to be fusions. That's, you never solve the problem. Solve the loading force first. Solve the information. So now the patients can return their health back to normal. Today, a look at healing habits in studio with Dr. John Duong of the Holistic Health Center. Online at drduonglive.com. So oftentimes, let's use, for example, the case of arthritis. People are suffering from arthritis. 
Most oftentimes, a doctor will prescribe anti-inflammatories, yes. pain pills, yes. and people say, I marginally feel better, but my, my range of motion is gone, and my ability to enjoy the things that I did, to, to have the kind of hobbies that I used to have, completely disappear. Now, here's an exception. Let's give a listen to a testimony by one of your patients that suffered from this very issue, that of rheumatoid arthritis. I came to Dr. Duong August 5th of this year due to the fact that I've had rheumatoid arthritis for 22 years along with low thyroid and haven't really gotten any results from the regular medical field. So a friend of mine referred me to Dr. Duong and the improvements that I've had in less than two months is less pain. I have a lot more energy. I am sleeping through the night. My meds have been decreased by half. I am now losing weight and I feel great. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about Dr. Duong for other people to know that he teaches you how to make good changes that will help your body to heal itself rather than putting a Band-Aid on it like most doctors. He loves to help people, teach them so they can be healthy and whole. And I wanted to also say that in the two months that I've been going to Dr. Duong, I've had more positive gains in my health than I've had with a rheumatoidologist in 22 years. So I highly, highly recommend people that are not getting the result with their regular doctor to see Dr. Duong. He's wonderful. Doctor, that's an amazing story of a patient of yours that was suffering from another maladies, but most certainly, and one that's very common as we age, and that is rheumatoid arthritis. And as she indicates, she'd seen other physicians, no answers whatsoever. Um, yours, of course, has been a very different approach. Let's talk a bit about what exactly you're doing that's different from other specialists. I focus on the natural healing. God gives us the power to heal the healings inside us already. We work with this healing and go and work on the basic so the body can heal. The first thing that we do is to reducing the inflammatory process on her system. Autoimmune, RA is what? Rheumatoid arthritis. We know that's autoimmunity. Your immune system is attacking the joint. That's why there is pain, inflammation in the, the system for sure. How do we know for sure? Genetic testing. So we did genetic testing to find out the issue, the inflammatory process, the detoxification can lead into an issue that um, affecting inflammation as well. So we know where is the issue coming from scientifically, understanding the inflammatory process, give her the natural solution for the inflammations, okay? You need to listen to what I have on the previous recording, like how to take care of the inflammatory process how to take care of, of, of your health. There's two ways that you can take care of it. The first is the structures. You have to take care of the structures, work on the structures, the, the human frame. And the other one is diet. How do you fix your diet? Is If you know for sure, is do the genetic testing. We, now we know uh, for sure when to give you the right supplement at the right time for the right condition so now the body can function better. So proper diet, proper exercise, proper habits, really, as one of the key effects that allows you to begin to encourage the body 
to heal itself. And then as you're suggesting, specifically looking at not just what the symptoms are and treating the symptoms, essentially saying, let's mask it, feed them a bunch of pain pills, but really getting to the root cause of why is this individual suffering the deterioration, suffering from the pain, and then attacking it right at the root cause. We need to find out the root cause and then go back to the basic. The basic is working with your body. For example, my patients, is I always train them the basic is what? Breathing. When you breathe, you oxygenate your blood. You make your blood more alkaline. You need your body to be more alkaline. So the breathing techniques, the exercise, eating right, do the genetic, I'll coach the patient what supplement they, they can take correctly, accurately, for sure, because we have that available. That's the way that we help the patients. So whether you're suffering from neck, shoulder, upper back, lower back pain, knee pain, arthritis in the joints and hips, or other autoimmune diseases and their accompanying pain, why not call today and find out how developing healing habits in your life can literally lead you to a life free from pain? At the present moment, Dr. Duong is offering a very special offer for our listeners. It's a special consultation, a $287 value for just $47. That's right. You heard me correctly. Dr. Duong offering a $47 consultation valued at $287 for the first eight callers who qualify. Right now, pick up the phone and call 510-818-1668. That's 510-818-1668. Or go online to drduonglive.com. That's drduonglive.com. Or call 510-818-1668. And this is really an amazing offer, doctor, for the first eight callers to come in for a complete checkup consultation, an opportunity to really get an understanding as to what is underlying this pain, the debilitating lifestyle, and then hopefully get to that root cause and get people back on the road to good health and healing habits. The healing habits work on the basic. You have to work on the basic so that you can create a habit so you can get rid of this pain and enjoy life. So get on the road to good health today. Call 510-818-1668. Be one of the first eight callers to qualify, and you'll receive this $47 consultation, a $287 value for just $47. 510-818-1668 or online at drduonglive.com. That's drduonglive.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Many of you out there perhaps are uh, part-time gardeners or like to, uh, what's the word, not tweak? I'm trying to think, what is, it, what is the proper, appropriate term here, Jarrell? You, you, you love to meddle around in the garden. <laughs> uh, your spouse might say occasionally killing plants. Uh, certainly that's, uh, that's one of my uh, badges that I wear none too proudly. But uh, you know, then again, you might have some luck and success once in a while. You certainly know that there are times and seasons when older plants, more mature plants, 
begin facing some growth challenges. Uh, seemingly, no matter how much water you feed them or how oftentimes you uh, turn them to make sure they're facing the light, uh, their leaves begin to get yellowed. Uh, the edges perhaps begin to, to grow brown. There is a lot less new growth, and the older growth, quite frankly, is looking dingy, tired, and worn out. So what do you do? Is there a way in which you can revitalize and bring new life to that plant and hope that it will um, somehow carry on further? Well, one of the big methods is plants like that oftentimes become uh, root-bound, particularly when they're potted plants. And so it requires going in, uh, removing the potting uh, around them, uh, trimming the root, which sometimes can be a painful process, and then, of course, replanting that plant in new soil, fresh fertilizer, lots of water, lots of sunlight, And the vast majority of times, in fact, that replanting process, as time-consuming and perhaps painful as it might be in shock to the plant initially so, can be the long-term solution to giving that plant a new lease on life. Let's think of that same analogy when it comes to churches and church planting. Does it sound familiar? A congregation that's been around for many, many years, many generations, and at the edges is starting to look sort of drab and dreary and tired. There is no new growth, and so oftentimes the decision comes, gee, is it time to just put that plant out of its, or that church, out of its misery, or are there things that we can do to replant that church in a similar fashion the way we do a replanting of a plant a house plant to give it a new lease on life well my next guest tonight i think would suggest the answer is absolutely so he is a gardener of sorts a missionary uh, author and um, professor at uh, Beeson divinity school in birmingham alabama he spent uh, years in bangkok thailand and um, works as a, a church an advisor in many respects, helping churches discover how a dying congregation can grow once again. The book is called Replant, How a Dying Church Can Grow Again. Dr. Mark Devine, great to have you on the program tonight. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. This is a, this is a painful process, isn't it? Uh, number one, I think oftentimes painful for congregations to admit uh, that they are in fact uh, facing a very uncertain future it really can be and um, uh, I really didn't set out to become sort of a you know a church a consultant or a fixer but uh, once I became a professor and could no longer serve as full-time pastor I found myself really not knowing what to do with myself and so I ended up becoming uh, an in uh, a serial interim pastor for churches that are without a pastor and then after the first couple of those, I really found myself in a new, uh, exciting ministry uh, with a growing mission field because 80% of churches in North America are declining. And I really found myself um, really looking at these churches very differently than it is just a way station for the next pastor, but trying to think, well, wait a minute, this church has been declining for so long, they've had one pastor after another, is there something I can do in my unique position, since I don't want to stay permanently, that might help this congregation grow again? And I haven't always been successful, but it's really been exciting 
to try to help in these ways. You speak throughout the book of your experiences, specifically at um, the Calvary Baptist Church. Let's talk a bit about that. Uh, this is a church that you describe as having been in its third decade of decline, and, and certainly one of the big indicators that there was lots of trouble afoot. It went through the totality of eight pastors, four permanent, four interim, in just 10 years. That, that's, what, like a year and a half or so per pastor? That certainly doesn't bode well in terms of the healthiness of that church or <laughs> the very least the stick to it to this uh, of those called to lead. I'm told that the average pastorate now, tenure of a, of a pastor in churches today in North America, hovers around two years. That's hard to believe. But um, it really is an indication of sort of the uh, the, the pathology, the lack of vision, uh, and the difficulties. And what happens oftentimes in these churches is that after the first two or three pastors uh, stay a very short time and leave, um, the, the congregation itself lapses into a pattern of behavior that prevents it from being led. Inevitably, uh, highly motivated laypersons, often very well-meaning, begin to occupy leadership turf that really belongs to a pastor, and these congregations become, without even realizing it, virtually unleadable. And so for all the good intentions that many might have and the pockets of ministry that often exist in these churches, they're really, they've rendered themselves uh, resistant to any real visionary, uh, strong pastoral leadership, and usually until that uh, is changed. It usually is. Most of these churches never come back. Well, in, in, in all fairness, uh, Dr. Devine, you, you speak in the book of, of the fact that there had been individuals that were in these positions, and I would imagine to the greatest degree, many of them um, out of necessity. When we look at that high degree of turnover, I mean, suddenly from transitioning from one pastor to another, there are areas of need and care within uh, the greater life and body of the church and pastoral ministry that need time and need attention. And so uh, it would seem like a lot of these folks might have stepped into those positions, uh, probably of, of good heart and will. But then uh, what are you suggesting? Something happens along the way where they they kind of uh, dig their heels in, and suddenly it, it moves from here's a, a deacon so-and-so or sister such-and-such, so God bless her is willing to step in while we're in the middle of a, a crisis here. Pastor's left. We've got an intern pastor who's trying to get the lay of the land, and so they're willing to come in and help out. And then what? It turns into uh, suddenly from um, good-hearted ministry to taking advantage of personal perks and privileges? A lot of the decisions that a pastor might make or lead the congregation to make end up being made by powerful lay people, and they get used to doing that, and they like to do it. And once a congregation sees pastors come and go quickly a few times, they, they are slow to treat the next pastor as though he will be around for, for very long, and therefore his ability to gain their trust and lead is uh, is greatly diminished. And then if a pastor comes in who's bound and determined to leave, then he faces resistance with entrenched sort of turf, uh, uh, turf battles where various people have staked out some turf that uh, they see as theirs and they're protective of it, but as long as the pastor can't lead, uh, you know, if he, if he can't have 
influence on that turf, then he really can't lead the congregation, and these pastors eventually give up and, and they go. If you've just joined the conversation, we're talking about a lot of the principles that gardeners use in bringing new life to a dying plant by replanting it. We're all familiar with the concept of church planting. What about the concept of church replanting? Some lessons on how a dying church can grow again. Dr. Mark Devine with us tonight. Maybe your church is going through some of this. Maybe you have individuals in your church that, as Dr. Devine suggests, have stepped in to help out during difficult times and suddenly now are intentionally or otherwise engaged in making decisions and taking on areas of authority, quite frankly, biblically, belong to the pastor, but out of emergency or short-term necessity, they have taken. And suddenly now it's gone from, let me step in to help out, to essentially a usurping of position, authority, and spiritual responsibility that ultimately does not bode well for the life of that church. If you're in that kind of circumstance, you may want to just simply eavesdrop on our conversation. Maybe you want to dive a little bit deeper, and uh, I can understand not wanting to get out on the radio and uh, reveal your name or the church that you're involved with, but time out. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to the conversation with Dr. Mark Devine. Let's get into some of your calls. We're talking about church replanting. We'll head off first to Hayward. Paul, good afternoon. Welcome. You're on KFAX with Dr. Mark Devine. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. I've been um, checking out a lot of churches. I grew up in the Bay Area, grew up in a real large church, and have been looking around uh, and visiting churches for the last 10 years or so, and I'm seeing one thing that's common in them because they are declining, and I'm asking you, uh, Pastor, if, if you see this, uh, one of the churches that I, I attend regularly, has about 1,200 people going there, and on one Sunday, the pastor asked by a raise of hand of how many people in 2013 had led anybody to the Lord. Less than 12 hands went up out of over 400 people. So what I'm starting to understand with this is that uh, people are going to uh, ch- church as if they are, you know, out of duty. They're getting jobs. They're, they're, they're uh, uh, sacred cow ministries that they occupy for 25 years and won't let anybody in. And, and they're not learning to evangelize. And so this church that I've been attending now for nearly three years, uh, I've, I haven't been invited to one person's house yet. Uh, or out to lunch, um, they had the glad handing thing and, and the you know shaking the hands, get up and shake your neighbor's hands, all that stuff. But but they're not teaching what Paul said about um, uh, the gift of hospitality. Hmm. And the gift of hospitality, I think, is what's missing in the churches because if a pastor does leave a church all of a sudden, you know, for whatever reason, he dies, you know, whatever reason. The church should be able to maintain itself because the people have already learned how to really be the, a family, as well as be a family to their, their neighbors and their co-workers. In most cases, most neighbors don't even know a Christian lives next door. They've not, they've not, they're not being taught hospitality. So what, what do you see? Do you see that as being something? Wow, some really good observations. What about that, Dr. Devine? I want to 
tout a, a church in Columbus, Ohio, uh, related to this issue. It's called Xenos, and my uh, youngest son is a is a he's a student in in Columbus, and he's a member of that church. And they, for many years, have made discipleship uh, the heart and center of what they want to be about. They don't want anything to distract them from it. And it's a remarkable thing. And so they're they're most strong in the ways that that this church that you've spoken of uh, is weak. And I will say this, the trend is that nominal Christianity is going to weaken. And and the church is is losing market share, but the churches that survive uh, and thrive in this new environment are going to be stronger because people are not going to use their time to be involved in, in, in churches uh, that are not really meaningful and relevant to them. And I, but I certainly believe that one of the great weaknesses is just what you've spoken about, and that is can, can disciples make other disciples? Well, therein goes a real important key, because whether you talk about a church learning what hospitality is or, or the keys to evangelism, I mean, doesn't this really come down to the matter of, of a lack of real proper discipleship? I mean, how many people show up to church every Sunday and they're kind of there out of, out of duty or out of habit or a sense of obligation, and yet they, they don't know a lot about the Savior that they allege to serve and have never had the experience of ever sharing their faith with anyone. Absolutely, but I do think that kind of thing is peaking because fewer and fewer people are willing to do that anymore. And so uh, people who are in that state, they, they are dropping out of church uh, in, in droves. I'm finding some really exciting things happening with pastors who are in their 40s uh, that I, you know, were my students uh, 20 years ago. And uh, they're, they're planting and building churches that are really a great co- contrast in these, in these areas. And I'm, so I'm really quite hopeful uh, that we're going to see, uh, we're, we're going to see stronger churches uh, in these areas in the future. You, are you getting a sense that the emphasis on, and I'm going to meddle here for a moment, uh, one of the things that I'm pretty good at. <laughs> Uh, there's been such an emphasis on so-called uh, church growth seminars, seeker-sensitive churches. It seems as if we have to have a plan and formula, most of which comes down to simply good entertainment, or not so good, uh, as a means of increasing the size of our church, which a lot of pastors, if they're honest about it, realize we're really only increasing the church by shifting the sheep from one pasture to another. Are you suggesting then that you're starting to see a trend away from that and more back toward genuine discipleship, genuine evangelism, genuine church growth? Yes, and I, I believe that um, you know the, the church growth movement, beginning with seeker-sensitive and then uh, purpose-driven, uh, and, and various things that really the church growth movement has morphed and has been chastened. Uh, Bill Hybels himself, you know, uh, uh, launched a survey and, and an analysis of what was happening at his church, and he came out and said that all the problems that you decided are real, they are happening, and so this notion of um, sort of figuring out what the people can take and tailoring your sermons to it and then try to do the discipleship in some other room in the church is really not working. And so nowadays, I think that you really, knowing the size of a church doesn't tell you that much about it. 
uh, as a serial interim pastor, that's what I'm seeing. That churches are very different. There's a lot of trial and error going on, and that uh, a lot has been learned uh, about uh, the ineffectiveness of watering anything down. And and perhaps the the big lesson here needs to be unlearning of what we thought were so-called experts and teaching us how to do church right, and relearning the fact that all the keys that are necessary are right there in front of us. It's a little book. In fact, it's sold pretty well, I understand. If you're in the right spot, you even know the author personally. Uh, the book, of course, is called The Bible. Another one that I might recommend, uh, secondary to that, that's not a bad one either, particularly on this topic, is the one written by Dr. Mark Devine, Replants, How a Dying Church Can Grow Again. And uh, we appreciate the insights into this uh, very complicated topic. And uh, Dr. Devine, hopefully we can persuade you to come back for more and we can dive a little bit deeper. And uh, again, our thanks to Dr. Mark Devine. The book, by the way, available through David C. Cook Publications or at uh, the usual suspects, including Amazon.com. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.